Welcome to Teachers Talk Texts, the podcast where English teachers share their insights and interpretations of texts currently studied in BCE English. I'm your host, Claire Mackey. Let's dive into today's episode. Nathan, thank you so much for joining me on Teachers Talk Texts. I'm very excited to talk about Christine Piper's After Darkness, which I have just finished reading. I'll start where I always start, which is what is it that you love about this text? Well, yeah, it's a, it's a really uh, fascinating text in terms of its structure. I think that's probably the first thing that really um, leaps out at you is that the the really unusual structure. And and on the first reading, I just thought it's obviously a, a fantastic technical achievement by the writer to put all these pe- literally pieces together and um, come across cross with something that it doesn't confuse you it's initially a bit uh, confusing but then you get into the rhythms of it and I think wow geez why couldn't they just tell it in a in a, in a linear way but then I realized that the, the structure actually was the story and it's actually because the main character Ibaraki Tamaku, Dr. Tamaku Ibaraki his his whole life had been shattered and that's one of the first questions that my students ask me is like why do we have this in this structure and and that's literally why the novel is set out in this way which is a really fascinating way of basically you know a writer doesn't just tell the story they they show something and it takes a little bit to get into it and it does and it for students it is a bit confusing but then grappling with that and once you sort of explain the story then it it sort of all comes together in the student's mind and then they can engage on it within a deeper way and there's really a lot to engage with this uh, novel on but just getting back a bit more to the structure, this it's another part of the the, the, the structure. It really reflects when you re- remember things, you don't me- remember them in a linear way. You remember like a something and then your mind goes to from this part of your life to that part of your life. So it's, it's also in a way reminiscent of, you know, it's actually being in someone's head, literally. So I, I found that a really interesting part of the text. Another thing I like about it is that the, the the main character is so precise with their language and Piper's really captured that sort of very proper way of using language. Even though he's Japanese, it's obviously an English novel, so uh, she's got this very precise and sometimes he drops in a Latin phrase or a, a, a very official name for a disease. So he's someone who's very got this uh, idea of themselves as being very precise and proper. But he's very unreliable and very obviously lost, lost inside who they are, what their purpose in life is. And so this, this sort of clash that is shown by Piper is, is I wouldn't say it's not humorous, but it, it, it's, it's, it's fascinating how they do that. And that we get this feeling that we, we can see, oh, geez, he really is struggling. He really is suffering. Yeah. So those sorts of things. I thought were, were great because originally I just thought that they were sort of accomplishments. Like, wow, she's really nailed this this guy's character in a pro- proper way. But then I realised she's actually doing she's actually the story is being created by these 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 formal elements. And so that's and that drives it along. And as the novel progresses, it 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 leads towards that 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 sense of a conclusion. But also I do like the fact that there's the the last chap page, the last chapter. There's a huge payoff, mm. a huge payoff at the end, but it doesn't follow that sort of three-act structure. Even once you un- unentangle it, it's sort of, you never you never really get the sense that he's an admirable person. And 
it's not that something that I require, but there's, there is this sort of, whether it's by Hollywood or just by my students, and I'll talk to more about how my students uh, react to his character, but this whole idea that he's someone that we can aspire to or see ourselves as being, and then that sort of, that sort of Hollywood structure and someone who's thrust in these difficult situations and deals with it, has two or three downfalls and then somehow wins at the end. Yeah, overcomes. Mm -hmm. And and it doesn't follow that, but actually at the end, there is this amazing sense of redemption. And I think it's also really, you can think that there's no redemption in this in this book, which I think a lot of, the book is quite, has got quite a lot of dark, dark I'm, not, I'm not punning here, I'm just saying it does <laughs> have quite a lot of really dark things in it, but there's quite a lot of redemption in this novel as well. And which, which I think the writer doesn't just rely on, on the tropes of the, the difficulty and then the, then the which would, still would have been okay, but I find that interesting how, and she weaves in, she does weave in a lot of redemption in there, but at the same time, we get a feeling that we don't like Ibaraki. And I think that's totally okay because there's a reason for that. I, I've got, I've got a whole nother thoughts about why he's not a, uh, I'm doing air quotes now, everyone. Being a <laughs> hero, he's character. not a hero, is he? Yeah, he's not a hero and there's no, no way that, that, and, but I think that the reason why he's, he's not a hero is because it just shows the effects of trauma on on an individual. So that's that's really what the novel, one of the main underlying features of the novel is that the absolute trauma of this, that people are meant to wear in their, in their lives mm. when they're locked in an authoritarian system. So I find, I find that that's a really, I'm just looking more and more, at the levels of of how power works in this novel. I think it's really interesting what you just did there, Nathan, and this is something really fantastic, I think, for students to think about, is that you started from a point, a really specific structural point in the text, in Mm. Piper's non-linear kind of fragmented narrative structure mm. and from mm. that your thought patterns have gone out further and further and further and further mm. to finally kind of a views and values statement I guess if which mm. I think is a classic way to say it, that what mm. this text is ultimately about is is about power dynamics and about the impact of abuse of power on an individual and that's mm. a really fantastic way I think for, that we can view text is we can mm. we can extrapolate from that really small point i want to take you back to ibaraki because i think this this Mm. characterization you've presented about him is so interesting and how piper uses language to construct him and use the words precise but also unreliable and i i wonder the thing that that my mind went straight to when you were talking was the intense shame that he carries throughout the text Mm. and as the reader we we don't know why he's so ashamed we learn we learn throughout Mm throughout the novel, this sense of shame. Do you think students need to understand Japanese culture to really understand Ibaraki's shame or is that I, important? I, I did, like in, in our studying the text, we talked about Japanese culture and we talked, oh. we spent that early stage looking at that. But I, I didn't want to go to tell my student down that line where everything that he represents is something inherently Japanese mm. because then you're just going down the level of, of uh, generalizing about a whole culture. So we didn't, we talked about how in the class, how the group, especially in a military system where the group is much more important than the individual. Mm. So I really framed it in the, in, in terms of militarism. 
because in a military, in the, and we talked a lot about hierarchies because there's a lot to talk about hierarchies in the novel. So we can talk about in general, very general terms, but we need to tell students that it's very general and that we're not talking, and we need to make clear when you're talking about any culture that's not inherently the one that we're in, mm. you've got to say, hey, that we can't say, make these huge points about a, a whole society because we've read a bit of background, a few of the things about that were important to the society at the time, but you can't sort of say, well, he represent Japanese culture. Oh. But, yeah. but, and I think so to me, I found myself being much, and, and also it's more resonance to think about it as being his shame is being grounded in, in the fact that his position in the hierarchy is low mm. and he has to wear it. So I think that opens up discussion in many more ways because we talked, like all those Japanese, every chapter has three or four little mentions. There were a few times when I, his wife plays the instrument. I sort yeah. of brought that out. But we didn't want to make it into a Japanese cultural studies session. So in the time that we have to, to study the novel, I, that's why I think the hi- discussion of hierarchy and talk takes us more into the, the machinations of power. Yeah. And it makes us think that it's not just a story about Japan in 1941, it, it's actually, it's, it's suggestive of authoritarian power structures, which military power structures are there. And speaking of which, another thing which my students sometimes said was like, sometimes they said, well, because the Australians, they were interning people and they were, had lots of, there were lots of examples of racism in Australia. Mm. So therefore they, they were the same, they were just the same. And I go, guys, let's, let's not say they're equivalent. Like I'm not, I don't want to like weigh it up, but War crimes and locking people up are both bad, but one is clearly worse than the other. And I'm not trying to say that Australia in this novel, it's not like we're point scoring and I'm no. not trying to no. we're not trying to say, oh, they were 10 point, point bad and these were only two points bad. It's, and it's not what Piper really is, is on about, saying that it's that Australia was somehow not as... It's not that. It's not about an equivalency. I like that. I like that point and that what it is is it's a story of a man kind of a fish out of water in some ways. I mean, yes, obviously, the contextual background of, of World War II mm, Australia and, and, and specifically of um, the Pacific War, which I think some mm. people will just think World War II, we can just, we just talk about the Holocaust, but actually there's an entirely yeah. separate war being fought yeah, um, yeah. Um, in the Pacific. And what's important is that Ibaraki finds himself in a culture that he feels completely alien to initially mm. and yet finds himself yeah. changing and learning to find a connection and find happiness yeah. it, there. Yeah, it's really fascinating because he, some of the other people just initially in the camp, they aspire to Japanese-ness when they hear that Broom gets um, bombed at Chia. And the two things that come, one is he feels at home to Broom mm. because he's he's been there for three or four years. And the other thing is that as much as he's still a Japanese person, he knows that he's been part of that military's power structure, which uh, he just doesn't, he just on a physical level, on any level he can't engage with. It's not like he's anti it. It's just that he just shuts down. Like there's a psychic part of him. It's not like he's anti-Japanese at all, but it's it's no. this, just this almost physical thing that just makes him, I can't, I can't even relate to that because to relate to that would bring back so many bad memories. Confronting text to students, especially if we talk about the effects of trauma. So that, that that's something we, we need to be mindful of as teachers is that we don't want to get to students to talk about their own traumas. But we talk quite a lot about, the, you know, trauma of something that happened many years ago 
can still be affecting people for generation to come. Especially if we don't deal with that trauma, because I don't think Mm. Ibaraki really does deal with the trauma of his experiences in Japan um, in the military. Yeah, no, no. But for a long while. Yeah, I think the, the suggestion in that last chapter is that he... He hasn't dealt with it, that he didn't sit down. And he, even though I've said that the, the last page of the novel is like this huge payoff, and it is, but it's really the start of another novel because it's the start of him actually coming to terms with, to terms with, with what he's, it's the start of his healing. It's yes. not the end of it. So I think that's fantastic about how Piper's done that. Because students think, well, we should have found out what, what happened after he wrote the letter. And I'm like, no, no. That's a, that's a whole other, and you'd have to go drag it out, and then it would become a whole other. There's story. a sequel there, really. Maybe we should write to her and say, "Piper, we need to yeah. see. We need to know what happens." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and and we talk a lot about that actually, because the documentation there that are based very heavily researched on fact. Mm. So telling students something that based on fact, we might know there's more facts than were out there, but we just focus on the on the novel how that functions. So it's, it's a fascinating story. And just talking back what you said earlier about how Ibaraki finds a, a home for himself mm. in the in the camp, I think that's true. I think he has this sort of lateral redemption because he goes from totally believing the, the Yamada to actually knowing, not just disagreeing, but actually knowing that that's sort of hierarchical power structure is not what he wants and he and he becomes friends with his former Emily. I mean I heard an interview with Piper and she said that what actually people felt was obviously the interviews that were done with the internees is that they, they actually felt a sense of place there. She wasn't supportive of it. She wasn't mm. saying, Well, it was a great idea. Mm. But she did a lot of research and she said that that was a common thing where people felt a sense of place there, which is quite yeah. shocking now that you think about it. Well, I suppose in in some ways, even the treatment that they received, I know Ibaraki reflects on the, the young child that looks at him when he's on the train on the way to the camp. Unfortunately, our country has a tendency to be exceptionally racist. And so in that time, in some way, were they, were they safer? Not being yeah. in the communities where they were potentially subject to hatred and, and racism and exclusion. It's yeah, that's an open question, isn't it? Like this whole idea that we'd lock people up became it seemed a completely alien idea mm. when I taught it last year. But as we were studying this, this was in February and March this year. Not that we are interning people, but and I, I don't want to draw too many parallels between what's happening in the pandemic in 2020 and World War Two because I don't think that's the case. But there were certain parallels that when times get tough, the divisions start mm-hmm. spreading. And unfortunately, we, we've seen that. So uh, that became part of our class discussion this year, particularly in 2020. Yeah. Uh, so that was really fascinating and seeing that it seemed a very strange reality. And when I taught in 2019 and now when I taught in 2020, there was different resonances came apart. And I, I think that's amazing that a fiction text written not so long ago, but there was no conception that anything like this would ever happen, the 2020 pandemic. Mm. So, it's um, actually amazing how many people have expressed a similar sentiment about the text that they're teaching across the study. Like this, I have had yeah. this conversation with a range of texts on the text list this year that the experience of the pandemic actually positions students in a unique position to empathise with the yeah. text in a different way. 
than they would have done last year or um, or they may even the students may even do next year yeah absolutely i think it's it's uh, brought a lot of the realities unfortunately to home because all our lived experience has been one of huge prosperity but I, what i've liked about that and because i teach eal and mm. a lot of the students i don't know but i think one question that they have is why do we read these texts and it's been really amazing this year to actually say look it's not the hard reality. It's not like the de definition reality uh, that, that a text reflects, but it, it makes you think about life in a different way. And so that's been really, especially this, this text, because this is all about how he has one story. He's a great doctor and he, he gets married and he, and he promises that he'll always look after his wife. We, we see that bit, but we already know that everything's shattered at him that point so that's yeah. the dramatic irony that i was referring to earlier is there mm. and so we've got this this story and then and then everything breaks down so um, and we have and that then insight we, too don't we as the reader we yeah. like you said that yeah. yeah we know what's going to happen before it happens because piper's very clever structure so, and and yeah. so she wants us to know and why does she want us to know because now i'm thinking well to think about i think it's to think about things like power to think about how life does change, um, yeah. the effects of trauma. I think it's all those things. So you don't think, even though it's it's historically such an amazing time, and it, she's, I think she's been really clever in picking the fact that it, it's really plausible that someone could have experienced that in 1936 or 1938, and then actually moved to Australia, and then the experience he had in Australia there. So she's picked this very dramatic uh, historical event, mm. but. I think she really wants us to focus on the on on the inner life of what happens to someone who is surrounded by there. It's not really so much about the historical event. It's more about what's okay. happening in their inner world. Yeah. I was thinking before we were talking about Ibaraki and Yamada and how initially he has great respect for him and in mm. the hierarchy, like you mentioned, mm. Yamada is much higher and so he pays deference mm. to him but then finds out the truth about Stan and that, that mm. whole storyline happens. Mm. And then I was thinking about, I think it's Shimada, the very similar Japanese name. So he was the man in control in Japan when he was in the military. Yeah. And do you yep. think there's a parallel there with the, the two relationships he has with these two men who he perceives as... Something over him. Yes, because they're hierarchically higher than, than him. And mm. yet they both fail him so, mm. so badly. And is there a message that I don't know if you've, if you've spoken about this with your students or these yeah, in the narratives? Yeah, I, I think that's a, such an obvious parallel. And we, yeah. we have talked about it in, in the class where he had... The first time he fails and then the second time he has some sort of insight and he breaks that pattern of just um just following the leader mm. i think that i think the that word antagonist gets thrown around a bit as the enemy but the person i think it's really the influence of someone like johnny chang yes. who, who really is is and is the antagonist in that narrative because he's the person who makes ibaraki grow because he challenges him and then what happens there is out of that, he actually, instead of just following orders and following things, he goes to the camp leadership and says, we want to do a baseball competition. And that sort of opens a whole lot of things up in on so many different levels. But it's really the first time in the whole novel that we actually see 
Ibaraki put his foot uh, foot forward. It's yes, just, I hate he's to say it's almost so the only time. Yeah, yeah, he's he's almost there, and so that's like a huge. It's a small step, you mm. know, and I th but it's a huge step for him. So yeah. I think so, those sorts of things there, and so that's that's you know really interesting to see how he makes a small step, which actually creates a huge opening, because it it sounds hey let's have a baseball competition. It's even presented like a one liner. It isn't like oh yeah. I was so nervous and then I walked and then I made it. It was actually like it's a small thing in the novel, but it actually represents the something ripples. huge. And it's, yeah. Yeah. And it opens up so many things. But yeah. I agree. I like that actually, that idea of Johnny Chang as an antagonist in that he, ch he doesn't just challenge Ibaraki. He, ch he almost challenges everywhere he goes. He, mm. he pushes the boundaries a little bit, whether it was mm. in Broom or in, mm. in the camp. Yeah. And at the, at the start, because we view, and uh, uh, this is actually coming back to something else you said earlier about Ibaraki being an unreliable narrator, which I think is a bit, yeah. uh, tell, tell me, show me a narrator who is reliable. Um, yeah, yeah, you know, absolutely. Something to, yeah. I think we shouldn't trust narrators too much because yeah. as we've talked about, Ibaraki's head is, is full of his past and his history and his shame and his culture, mm. but he doesn't like Johnny Chang initially because Johnny Chang almost represents the, the foil to Ibaraki mm. in so many ways. Absolutely. Mm. And the thing, and the thing I, find, I find interesting about Johnny is he's sort of like a, he's, he's sort of rebellion in, in Broom is sort of jocular and he's like, oh, next time I speed, you'll, you'll be okay, won't you, with me, you'll let me go. And in the camp, it, he becomes very strident and really righteous and mm. like this caged, this... He feels, and so I think that's that. It's it's really interesting how she she creates that, and definitely del deliberately done that he becomes this angry person in the camp. I felt angry for and him then, though. You know, he oh absolutely, I'm outraged. Born, yeah, it's outrageous. He was born in Australia just because one of his parents happens to be Japanese. Um, I, I no? that scene where they went to when they went to Melbourne, also because yes. we're from Melbourne, I guess, just mentioning Melbourne. Yeah, uh, and then they, they they're there for like one minute in the court. I was like, oh my god! Because you think uh, I'm going, you think they're going to win, don't right. you? Well, the Hollywood narrative is letting. Us, well, know. everything in the camp's going so well that yes. it that it actually that it actually suggests that there will be something because they've had so many struggles in the camp mm. that there's got to be some sort of payoff, yeah. and then you see not. that actually it wasn't going to happen. Because that's and so, life, isn't it? You know, yeah, and, but it, yeah, it's very exas yeah. beyond exasperating that 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 happens because, and that, and that goes to the fact that the camp leadership, they just these cogs in this machine, just like uh, Ibaraki was in the in the the, mm. the research laboratory. I think it's quite a sympathetic portrayal of all those leaders, particularly in the Australian camp. But there's this whole thing that they just somewhere in the middle and they're trying to do their best that they can as well and they've probably also got their own traumas and and they probably horrified as well or or not or i don't know how they feel but that's how they are just lost in this huge machine and nobody really knows who's pushing this button but someone is and i think that's something that that piper really wants us to think about is the the levels of responsibility of the state is sort of this apparatus which doesn't actually get any consequent 
there's no consequences to the state, but the individual yeah. has to bear bear this huge burden. And that's probably one of the focuses in my class about how the, the person has to bear this huge weight of history on themselves, which is really unjust. And yeah. so we talk a lot about how power, the inequalities and the secrecies that power, state power has. So, yeah, so that was quite interesting talking about how every state has this huge military that we don't really know what they're doing in the South China Sea. There's conflicts. There's, um, yeah. you know, in Australia, there's certain, even this day, when I told the student that there was a secret CIA military base at the Pine Gap, one day, yeah. you know, and I, and I said, look, there's about, you know, about four or 500 American people right now working on on, uh, on things something. that we will never know anything about. Yeah. And and I'm said, I'm, I, I really don't go into conspiracy theories or anything <laughs> like that. But I just say these are actual facts, that there are people about 20 kilometres in the desert outside Alice Springs. And there's right around the world, there's so many secrets. And so it's not just about World War II. It's about how power op- operates and how the individual has to keep se- secrets and the effects of that on an individual. Mm-hmm. What you were saying, they just made me, and the, the individual bearing the brunt of the, the power hierarchy on the last yeah. day that Ibaraki's in Broome and he gets taken by, and I've forgotten the name, of course, of, of who Cowie, it yeah. Yes. Yeah, I was reading that section today. I love that section. That was one of my favourite sections of the whole novel, actually. And he yeah. they, they, he goes, oh, put the put the cuffs on. He's like, no, no, it's the doctor. And then, oh, he can only have one bag. And like he, the other guy's like, no, he's the doctor. Like this is he didn't change overnight to some sort of crazy lunatic killing person. He's but, the same person. But in, the, but in that so then he becomes so he's walking down the street and then he has this weird moment of madness, which sort of shows the transition between normal life because he's walking past all these scenes that he sees in his daily life mm. and he's trying to act normal. And then, then he does this thing where he, he runs out and then the person calls him, stop it, you crazy Jap, or something like that. Yeah. And I was like, it just flips, sorry, my hand on our a flipping, a flipping <laughs> motion. <laughs> Everything flips from him being this doctor to being an enemy Jap. The word Jap, just in that in that paragraph, just really, uh, really stung me when I read it because of everything that they're walking down the street, going nice and normal. Nice, and, yeah. and he's waving, look, everything's okay. And then suddenly it just, you know, he had this... He lost control I maybe think, for a moment. Yeah, and it's the first time in the novel you actually, well, you just see him many times, but he actually just really expresses his fear, which is just by running away, running across the street, which is not going to actually achieve yeah. anything. No. It's, it's also like movement towards freedom is also so futile in that situation. So that, that to me, was really fascinating. And, it, yeah, when I was thinking about his, that pipe allows us to see more, then Ibaraki sees about himself. That's a really key moment on, on, on that page when that, that happens. When he runs away. While we're in Broome, just in that location, as we're having this discussion, I'd love to talk about Sister Bernice because I found her a very interesting character. And I found their kind of unspoken love, just the dynamics of that within the text. I'd love to hear your thoughts on on the purpose of Sister Bernice and because there's so many layers yeah. of her. Yeah, yeah. She wasn't yeah. just a no. love interest. No, no, much more. Much but more. she was also but, a nun. Yeah, that, 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 that's part, yeah that's, well, that's Piper saying that she's basically not going to fulfil that role yes, that's okay. off the bat and that we know that even if that line gets 
close to that line will we'll never get crossed. I thought it was really interesting though that when we first meet her, there's that almost cinematic moment where he remind he sees her and just the sight of her before we even know her or he knows her, he remembers his wife, wow. which really sets up a whole set of expectations about how this will go on. We know that being a nun, she won't, but we know that there will be more than just something. Like there's, this, there's, there's also a chapter where he said emphatically, our relationship was professional. And then even this, a lot of the students said, well, it doesn't sound it because it sounds like, you know, there's two different things going on here. Mm. And she becomes much more effective than him at actually doing the job. I think it's really interesting when... The, the sailor, the, there's been a bar fight and the yes. and they, they need stitches and the, and he can't even do his job and he actually requires her to come and fix. actually basic, basic function of his job. It's not like a, yes. a high level. We don't know why at that point either, do we? Because we, we haven't had the bit about the child and the incision, which is... Yeah, and that, that to me, why. I think... And I think that the, the story of the, the child, it shows like with trauma, it's the cliche of the iceberg that that to me is is that thing where it's just a little thing and she has a normal reaction which i consider quite a normal reaction oh what's that and that sort of unravels a whole lot of things no i think she's she's a fantastic character because she actually be she shows a lot of the things why he is he's broken as he is and Mm. the fact that he reacts in a certain way to just her doing her job illustrates a, a whole a whole range of things about his his own personality. So I, we talked a lot in class about how she became basically the functional part of him. She also challenges him too in in his behaviour and shows him kindness for no other reason than showing him kindness to the making of the cup of tea and he doesn't realize how much he likes it until she's not there anymore to do it for him and i I think he just he's been so starved of any form of kindness for so Mm. long Mm. that this is almost this is a huge shift for him he doesn't even know how to process it because when we first meet him oh she makes me a cup of tea and then and then the day there's a moment where she she doesn't come because she goes to away for christmas but they've yeah. had an argument yeah and he's he, he almost like mentioned the hours like it's like someone checking the, what we'd call checking their phone re- repeatedly like you've got oh it's it's three o'clock not around i better i wasn't nervous but i'll just look outside <laughs> you and, know? Just, and you can yeah. really get that sense of like anxiety and it just grows and grows that whole scene where he talks he about feels that he's ruined the relationship with her doesn't he he feels he yeah feels- and i think a lot of my students did put a lot of the blame on on his behaviour because they said he got angry at her and they they that was just yet another nail in the coffin for, for them, for Ibaraki. So I'll just, just speaking, going back to Ibaraki and mm. you know, his likability, the thing I said to the students is you can have an opinion about him, but what it is, is Piper showing us the effects of all the trauma on him. So in a way, it's not us being invited to, to dislike him. She's not inviting us to have a go at him she's inviting us to see how trauma really reaches out to every dimension of his life so i think mm-hmm. that's why he is one reason why he is portrayed in that way and when we see someone so let's say just really sweet and really competent and really knowledgeable everything mm-hmm. which we'd expect like a doctor to be mm-hmm. is basically sister Benice. We see the opposite of, of them. And there are things where they come together where they, I think it's, I think it's called Tensho's Tensho Setsu, which is the 
New Year's or the Emperor's birthday or one of this cultural celebration. Yeah. And they just have this moment where they basically, basically not like together romantically but they're together just in spirit just looking at the sunset walking through the sunset and there's this really palpable unity that piper brings to it which i thought was yeah and it's not and it's definitely not a romantic one although it could lead to that but it's just this there's about five or six pages where they're just together talking heart to heart and just this yes it's it's one of those moments of redemption which I, i was referring to earlier where showing that what could actually be what could have been for him yeah. if he allowed yeah. if he allowed perhaps i mean i think in in doing the job that he did in japan for the military he probably had to build up a number of cognitive walls to cope with oh but i think he knew what he was doing he, we, we're never really told uh, explicitly mm. what it is that they were doing but until a little bit little until, way, the end, the end. until the end until the end yeah, yeah. And it's this, about um, page two hundred, actually. It's mm-hmm. around about there, the where where it's only where it's only at midnight. They open up the crates, but that's it's been alluded to for two hundred pages, and then it's pages, yeah. not exactly page. It's about two hundred and four or something like that. Okay, but yes, it's it's but yeah, it's always alluded to. We're not told until later in, in the text, but it, yeah. I guess we understand better why he was the way that he was, and because I, I think when we're first reading through, and he's coming home later, and he, his wife thinks that he's been out with, with the geishas or drinking. Yeah, maybe some nights he was because that was kind of expected of him. But most nights yeah. he was working, and he doesn't tell her. And I think part of me goes, just, just tell her, just tell her what you're doing. You that know? scene was so powerful when she said, "I know what you've been up to," and and he and there's a sense where he goes, "Oh, I could, I could. I'm about to be released from my suffering because she knows what I'm going through," and and then he thinks, "I I can now open up to her and, and yes. I." Can, and almost like confess we can reunite again yeah. and then it's it's smashed because she goes you've been out drinking with the geishas again and he's like oh it's not that even though there is that one scene where he does it he does. he's not a willing oh. participant and it's not the reason why he's late is because he's he's involved in creating these chemical well these bio weapons bio bio warfare yeah, yeah. Now we, we've talked about so many scenes um, in this conversation and so many of them are so heartbreaking, aren't they? On the, on the topic of heartbreaking scenes, Stan's death shocked me. I, I, think, that it's, I think it's unusual, well, not unusual for a text to shock, to shock in that when, when we're reading and especially because when we're reading texts mm. for English, I'm reading with all my, all my blinkers off. I'm, I'm watching for the technique. I'm watching for mm. the, the big ideas. I'm, I'm, I'm having expectations. And I just didn't think that Stan would be the one to die. Do you, did, have you spoken with your students about why Piper decided that he should die and, and not Johnny Chang or not someone else? Well, yeah, well, it's, it's almost leading it up because Johnny Chang is antagonistic towards uh, camp leadership that he'd be a lightning rod to, to, to that. I think about Stan's death, to, to me in my class, we talk more about Davies, the the person yes. who killed him, and basically because that also talks about the he's obviously suffering from what we'd know today as PTSD. Why he's so so jumpy and he's obviously scarred. He's mm-hmm. almost like a a reflection of of um, Ibaraki, and okay. to me, I found I found it absolutely heartbreaking that Davies obviously he shot Stan, but he was suspended and without pay. He was punished basically because he went to war and he suffered all these things for Australia and now he's come back as a broken person and he's even more punished. He's sent to the, out, not the outback, but Pretty much. away from the towns. Yeah. yeah. And he's sent, sent, sent to this place and he's sent to do something which 
obviously he's not up to and he's punished again for when something happens not like the, what what he should have done is like hey you've suffered for your country let's give you some treatment or something or, or something like that similar to iraqi that you must be quiet all the time because if you don't there will be consequences for you and your family you'll you'll be a disgrace to your family and so i i see those davies and and iraqi as being quite similar in that way in that they're just sent out and they're just mashed basically by the the horrors of war so that that to to me was more there although that's probably something we should definitely talk about in our revision so thanks because uh, at this point of year now we're getting into uh revision time mm. um so so it's, it's it's good just looking at the the text in new ways i'm glad i'm more than happy to help because i'm so grateful <laughs> that you've been so willing and happy to come and talk to me i yeah. wonder that idea of davies is that comes back to that that idea that, that you mentioned earlier of piper not necessarily maybe she is criticizing or condemning but the power structures of, of a state in that the burden on the individual i really like that that yeah the burden mm. lies on the individual for the decisions made on a really mm. grand scale by the state yeah and and in the in the novel at any rate obviously we you know japan loses the war but in this in the novel the the powerful people they really do escape consequences yamada he gets on the boat he the fact that he gets on the boat and even though he's done all these horrible things in the camp is is a real indictment even though i think yes that he just all the all those all the powerful people just seem to not have anything bad happen to them so that's i found that really interesting in the novel yeah. as well which is that's a conscious that. decision yeah that's, you know yes. that that's, she's done that on purpose and and also one thing about this novel is we're not talking about something even 50 years ago this is a, a new writer and i always wonder what, if what the english teachers say how we talk about it if it's how they actually say set up I the could, text yeah. right i could totally send this pod to christine piper and say hey would you, oh, you have I, your I think i'm sure i want to shoot but i want yeah yeah definitely because she, she lives in at, as i believe in australia it'd be interesting to, to hear <laughs> never know she might she might come have a real laugh she might have to laugh yeah it's got nothing to do with any of this any of this I wonder if that takes me, brings me quite neatly, and I told you this would happen, but yeah. to my final, my final question, which is what is the point of After Darkness and why is it that the VCAA have so kindly placed it on our text list for study this year? Well, my first thought about that was because Vicar just loved texts about World War II <laughs> and the effect on lives, and I thought it really ticked a lot of those sort of boxes, but that would be... to Zenical I literally I think it's a it's a fascinating work of art because it shows students the importance of fiction it shows how an author can put so much um intentionality into a work and really let us see about things in a different way that we might not might otherwise otherwise see so I, I I'm just I started at this as okay I've I've got to teach this next year let's work out a way to to make it happen to being quite a quite a fan of this book because it's there's so much in it it's yeah there's a more much more than meets the eye originally and i think that's something which it's presents as one thing then it becomes something even more than that at at the end so yeah thank you thank you nathan it's been an absolute pleasure to speak with you um about oh i've really enjoyed it 
you think I'm, I'm glad i'm glad it made, it made me it made me think about the i've had a lot of thoughts of the novel like as we get into the year but now as we get into the the the, the um exam side of the year it's been really um fascinating to to just yeah revisit it and also i can give a shout out to there's um a really good review I can also, I'm happy to share with you. Yeah, Geordie Williamson in The Australian in 2014. One, it's a very, very detailed uh, review and it goes into a lot of details. We unpacked it with the students last week because it gives them a lot of the language, especially with EAL students for the for essays and stuff mm-hmm. like that. I'd also, he mentioned that in the, Williamson mentioned that in his review, but there's a novel by Kazuo Ishiguro called The Remains of the Day. And it's about a story about an old man who's a butler to to, to a, an old stately home in England. And, and he looks back on his life and he realises there were so many times he should have spoken up. So I, I would really recommend that every teacher, you can't, you don't have time at year 12 to share it with your students and or, or detail it. But in the summer break between, before you, you teach it, I would really read that. It poses a lot of really resonant questions that work pretty well. And the other text, which is quite resonant, is the film mm-hmm. Jojo Rabbit, which came out in 2019, Taika Waititi's film, which also talks about a key thing of um, After Darkness is that that Ibaraki fails at being heartless. That's his big failure in the Japanese military system. Uh, there, And I, I think it's, it's very different, Jojo Rabbit, but it's about someone who fails at being heartless as well so i just thought those were quite resonant if you're a teacher you'd probably mm. want to look at them just to have them in your mind obviously you, you can't you can't students can't write about that in their sacks or exams or you wouldn't want to spend weeks teaching about it but just to have it in your headspace would yeah. be really good to do i think so. we but develop that, our we, interpretations don't we from reading and watching other texts yeah, yeah. those two texts are, are sort of really i found them to pose similar sort of questions obviously very vastly different mm. but um yeah so I, I was glad that i had experienced those texts before when well when i've read this treasure over it only came out this year but mm. the, that review by geordie williamson is really good and there's also some some audio out there on rn radio rn or radio national as i think it's called then or christine piper i can share that with you i'm happy to well it's basically i got it from clicking away and looking at stuff so yeah so so she talks about the novel and, the, and some of the, the the stuff about the what it was like to be in the intern internment camps and stuff like that yeah so, so that i can happy to share that um, thank you so much because i just found it online and i thought it was interesting so yeah. yeah no i think anything we can do the whole point of this is to support students and teachers i mean especially this year yeah. but also this podcast we available for students to, to listen to in 2021 as well so thank you yeah so no that's great <laughs> no re- really appreciate your time and thanks for thanks for having me on here and i've really enjoyed the chat and yeah, uh, we can chat about other stuff later yeah definitely Cheers. let's do that <laughs> thanks thanks, had fun. thanks so Cheers. much nathan Thanks so much to Nathan Jackson for joining me to chat about Christine Piper's After Darkness. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, definitely click subscribe on whatever streaming service you're using so you can be notified every time uh, the newest episode drops. If you'd like to be part of the conversation, please follow me on Instagram at teacherstalktips and I will see you all next week. Bye.